Hello, and welcome to Stern Chats. I'm Melanie Gonzalez. And I'm Daniel Yellen. Today, we had a really great conversation with Nyagaka Ungeri. Nyagaka spoke to us about his relationship with the Stern community, his career in banking, and starting his own advisory firm, Ubora. And Melanie, I really enjoyed this conversation. I thought that it was just chock full of great career advice on finding inspiration through books, on finding inspiration through mentors, as well as building mental toughness from endurance athletics. And overall, it was just a really intellectually stimulating and inspiring conversation. It really was. Let's get to it. From New York University Stern Campus, this is Stern Chats, the podcast that tells the hidden stories between the lines of someone's resume. In the interest of serving the Stern community, building relationships, and unlocking important life lessons, we present these stories to a wider audience. Nyagaka Ungeri, welcome to Stern Chats. Thank you, Daniel. Melanie, glad to be here. Looking forward to the discussion. We're so excited to have you here. And whenever we talk to someone who's had an illustrious and impressive career, I always think that it's interesting to rewind the clock a little bit and get a little bit more of an understanding of what they were like growing up. So I was hoping you could just tell us a little bit about your childhood. What were your parents like? What were you like as a kid? Um, yeah. Okay. Um, well, first of all, my parents would contend with your use of the word illustrious to uh, to, to define my uh, my trajectory, <laughs> but that's that's okay. We'll just we'll just go with that. Um, I, I I grew up in uh, Nairobi, Kenya. Um, spent uh, all of my primary high schooling in in Nairobi, and this was sort of in in the eighties, sort of when I came of age. My parents are from small towns in central and and western Kenya, respectively. And um, although I think of myself as a, of a city guy, um, my parents have, uh, have a farm in Western Kenya. And much to our chagrin, every school vacation, we'd find ourselves um, picking tea on the farm or helping to herd the goats or uh, milk the cows, which, uh, which wasn't my favorite activity, but, but I think uh, served me well in, in kind of building discipline over time. So I um I left Kenya to come to college in uh, in the U.S. Um, but uh, my early formative years were in Kenya. What's your favorite and least favorite task on a farm? <laughs> that's, that's 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 a great question. Um, you know, my my least favorite task was actually just being there, frankly, because I wanted to be back in the studio <laughs> with my friends. Um, but I, I, I will say that when I look back now, I don't know, you know, 30, 40 years later, um, it is just, it's, it's one of my, my spots of serenity. Um, it's, uh, it's just, uh, provides a, a sense of well-being and a sense of, um, completeness that just really grounds me and, uh, and keeps me going. That's great. Um, and so making that decision to come to the U.S. Um, for undergrad, um, I know you went to Howard University. What was that change like, um, leaving Africa and coming over here to study? Um, first of all, shout out to Howard. It's, it's where my current vice president went to, <laughs> went to school. So it's a big, big shout out. Um, it, it, was, uh, it, was, it was a culture shock, to, to be frank. Uh, you know, just growing up, Growing up outside the U.S., 
you have a very, um, I think, jaded sense of what living in the U.S. is like. Uh, it's all filtered through and channeled via uh, television at that point. Um, and, uh, you know, oftentimes it doesn't, it doesn't correspond to the reality of day-to-day -day life, especially being a broke college kid in, uh, in Washington, D.C., um but look it was uh it was a fun experience uh you know the first the first semester was actually my first time experiencing winter i had never seen snow before so that mm. was uh that was fun um just just quick anecdote i i had um i had bought all this stuff and uh what happens in any college campus as you guys know is that uh, as soon as spring weather breaks out everybody loses their stuff and they're walking around in tank tops and t-shirts and I, I, I still had my, my scarves and my, my heavy jackets and everything. And I had trouble getting dates in my freshman year. And, and I, couldn't, I couldn't quite figure out why until a buddy pulled me aside and took me shopping. I'm not quite sure it changed my dating life, but uh, I think it <laughs> That's great. Um, you know, I can't, I'm, I'm someone who's perpetually cold. <laughs> and so maybe I would have just used that as an excuse, but it's, I'm glad you had a friend that was willing to, to step up and tell you what you needed to do. That's, that's right. And so I'd like to talk a little bit about your connection to Stern, because you're not a Stern alum like we've just talked about. You went to Howard um, and then you got your MBA at HBS. Um, but you do have a number of connections to Stern. I believe your wife has her MBA from Stern. You've hired Sternies at Ubora. Um, what made you want to get more involved initially with this community? Mm -hmm. Well, actually, what, one thing we didn't talk about, uh, Daniel and Melanie, is um, my, my first connection to Stern is when I worked my first internship in the city at, uh, at J.P. Morgan in the early 90s. I actually rented a room that summer from uh, one of the Stern, Stern dorms on, I think it's on East 8th Street, just off Broadway. And... Um, no AC, but uh, that was uh, that was my first sort of stern uh, connection, uh, NYU connection, I think, in overall. But um, I think, as you said, my, my wife did go to Stern. She's a MBA grad, class of 2017. Um, and uh, I, I, I went to business school as well, and I really enjoyed my, my two years in business school. So one of the things I was very intent on doing with uh, my wife Eva's uh, business school experience was uh, immersing myself and fully sharing uh, and recreating my business school years uh, with them. <laughs> so I uh, I did uh, what, what, do you, what do you call it? Beer, 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 what? I can't quite recall what it's Beer Blast. Beer Blast. Blast. <laughs> That's right. Um, I, I did. I we did, love I, Beer Blast. Yep. I did. I did more stern parties than, than probably I should have as a as a as a partner and a spouse, uh, but it was a lot of fun and um, it really made me feel. One thing I think stern does really well is make partners really feel part of the community, um, and that extended to doing some of the treks in both my wife's first year and second year. Uh, so it's so a really really enjoyed the stern experience, um, not 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 vicariously but uh, live and in person. Which treks did you go on? So we did uh, first year's trek to Israel. That was just absolutely phenomenal. It, it had always been on our bucket lists. Um, and the opportunity to do it with, um, with uh, friends from Stern was just fantastic. And a lot of those friends have actually ended up being enduring friendships. 
um, and that was Israel and Jordan. And then the second, uh, the second trek was to Morocco uh, alongside with Canary Islands. And that was fun, um, but, but not, as, not as fun as the Israel trip. I understand you also um, are involved in Stern Signature Projects, um, and you kind of come to the Stern community to allow Stern students to help you with these different projects. And I myself actually partake in some of these, and it's been such a great experience. So can you talk to us a little bit about the types of projects you have the students working on? Yeah, so so maybe just to round out, because I just realized I didn't fully answer your question about my involvement with the Stan community. So my, my wife being at Stan was was one part of it. Um, through um, the pandemic, um, as I was starting off my business, I my wife brought to my attention the fact that um, Stern had an internship program that was geared towards um, smaller businesses and uh, provided for, provided both support as well as exposure to smaller businesses to first year MBAs um, to see if they had an interest in actually working with a smaller business. So I did have a, 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 a an intern in the summer of 2020, uh, Bennett Adams, who joined me. It was a two person shop, but just a fantastic experience working with Bennett and, and getting more exposure through him to how Stern was reacting to uh, to the pandemic. And then um, uh, beyond that, I think, as you mentioned, uh, Melanie, yes, I, I am part of um, uh, one of the companies that's involved in the Stern Signature Program um, that kicked off uh, early early this spring. And that's been that's been a great experience. That's that's basically two year, uh, two second year MBAs working with me to really help ascertain and shape the direction um, and some of the business development tactics of, uh, of my business, which, um, you know, frankly, as, a, as an entrepreneur, you always have much more in terms of aspirations and you have the resources or timing to do. And so having just two smart MBAs who just have had incredible insights accompanied, you know, frankly, with, um, uh, by the professor uh, who is uh, who is a mentor for uh, for the particular program, has um, we're only halfway in, but there've already been a lot of valuable insights that have been garnered, and I'm completely enjoying the experience. I guess it's another way of keeping uh, connected to Stern that that uh, that that I found and that I've, I've nurtured and taken advantage of. And how did that initially come to be? How did you first find out that this was an opportunity for Ubora, and then how did you? Is there a vetting process? Like, how do you go through the the, uh, the intricacies of, of getting involved in those experiential learning opportunities from the supply side? Um, so actually, this goes back to the Israel track. Um, there was uh, one of the folks in the Israel track uh, worked at the career office at the point at that point in time, um, and she she continued to be a friend post uh, post the track, um, and. You know, given the fact that you're spending hours on buses, or um, you know, kind of chuck it along in a some facility in Jerusalem or Tel Aviv, you got to know each other pretty well. Um, so over time, uh, we we kept in touch. Um, she was instrumental in helping to place uh, Bennett as an intern in the summer of 2020, and then beyond that, she mentioned the the program. And she mentioned that she thought based on the experience that I had with the internship program and based on where my business was at that point in time, that this may be something beneficial to Bora. 
um, which is which is the name of my business. So um, we went through the requirements of the program. Um, I had to think fairly carefully around um, the time commitment, as well as making sure that not just that the, the, the experience was a beneficial experience to, to, to Bora, but also actually ended up being a fulfilling experience to the second year MBAs. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm having a blast and uh, I hope they are too. I, I love how the, the connectivity, you know, um, has stayed since, since the track, you know, even a few years later. Um, that's always so great because that's just something you hear from the business school experience, right? That you meet these people and they kind of become part of your network. So that's really interesting to hear. And so we've, we've teased now Ubora, but I think that it's important to, again, think about your career in, as a full, as a full journey. And I believe you founded Ubora in late 2019, but you had a successful career in in banking before that. What was the initial spark that led you to banking for the beginning of your career? Yeah, it's um, it's a good question. You know, my 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 banking vision was um, inspired by an uncle of mine who grew up in Kenya, uh, actually my uncle and aunt who both grew up in Kenya, and they were the first members of our family to actually come to college in the US. They went to the University of Maryland uh, via the University of Idaho and just couldn't deal with Idaho, so transferred to Maryland. Um, and it was, it was nothing, nothing against Idaho, it's just the winter weather. So um, when they got back to, both, both are in, in banking and finance, and when they go back to Nairobi, they used to regale my sister and I with stories about their, um, their college experience in the US, as well as stories about their professional experience. So that was interestingly both the inspiration for coming to the US to go to college, as well as uh, my, my professional decisions. When I got to Howard, um, there's a very active relationship between Howard and uh, the Wall Street community. Um, so getting exposure to firms um, from the street was something that I threw myself into. Interestingly, interestingly, my most impactful class wasn't a financial engineering class or, or, or some technical class. My, my most uh, impactful class was actually an etiquette class that I took in my freshman year around uh, how to dress and you know, how to respond expeditiously which, uh, which, which are skills that have, uh, that have carried over well for me over the years. Um, but that was my initial exposure to, to the street. And um, I did an internship, as I indicated earlier, at JP Morgan. Ended up working at Merrill um, in the 90s, which was uh, just a great time to... Uh, Merrill at that, at that point was a real flow shop. Um, so uh, seen as one of the league table leaders across the street. And I was um, on the capital markets desk. So that was... Uh, great exposure for somebody young in the 20s and sort of hungry to to get steeped in the world of finance. And, um, my, you know, my, my career has been characterized, frankly, by um, curiosity and a desire to take um, my intellectual curiosity around financial tools and application of financial technology in in difficult settings. And some of those settings very specifically are within emerging markets. 
So post business school, I made a decision to go to South Africa in the late 90s and, and the early 2000s. And we spent a lot of time uh, helping um, segments of the market, the buy side, the reserve bank, um, corporates, think about the use of financial technology in a burgeoning and growing uh, emerging market. The same can be said um, when I joined Barclays in the early 2000s. I did spend a stint of time back in Africa as well doing the exact same thing, but this time around doing it not just for South Africa, but doing it across 13 countries in, in wider sub-Saharan Africa. And then most recently, um, before you ventured off to, to start Ebora, um, you were head of global corporates in the Americas. And so were there any pivotal moments that then guided you to kind of start your own advisory firm? Was that something that you you saw, you know, a couple years beforehand that was something you were going to pursue? Or did that really kind of just, you know, kind of come out of nowhere? You wanted to do something different. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. No, that's 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 a that's a great question, Melanie. So, you know, I kind of think about life about I kind of think about life in terms of inflection points, and there've been various sort of inflection points across along, along the way for me. And um, I'd say two of the most pivotal ones um, have come over the last ten plus years. So the first inflection point was in two thousand and nine. I was a capital markets banker covering financial institutions going into the crisis. So as you can imagine, that's a great job to have when all your clients are going insolvent because uh, I covered banks and insurance companies and finance companies, many of whom don't exist today. And um, what, what had been nagging at me but just became very real was that um, I had a great skill set. I really enjoyed the industry. I enjoyed covering financial institutions, but um, I'd become a very narrow banker. And uh, a lot of I, I could speak ad nauseum and write a dissertation on basis points. Um, but not much beyond that. So I made the very conscious decision that I wanted to branch into, into other areas of finance and become much more adept about talking about the rest of the balance sheet as opposed to a very specific part of the balance sheet. So that, that led me to corporate banking, uh, led me to South Africa with Barclays Africa and then back to the U.S. to help run the corporate banking business here in the U.S. for Barclays. Um, you know, part of what we did at, uh, at the corporate bank is uh, we represented some of the businesses that the bank had globally. And as I mentioned, uh, we had uh, 13 African countries that Barclays had offices in. So we, we set up a, a desk in the U.S. to specifically work with African corporates, oh, sorry, with U.S. corporates around the African businesses, um, around financing, risk management issues, uh, potential acquisitions, anything that um, a relationship bank uh, in Africa could provide to U.S. clients was the purview of um, the folks who worked under me for, uh, for this period in time, which is a great ride. Um, I, I, I knew somewhere in the fog of my mind, um, and, and driven a lot by my upbringing in Africa, that I wanted my career to take form and shape in working the U.S.-Africa corridor. Um, and not necessarily in the confines of a large institution. That, that was even less clear to me how that was going to occur. So, so I had a passion. I had a bit of a framework, but I had no idea how I was going to make it happen. And I remember sitting with um, an old boss of mine uh, in late 2016 and him saying to me, hey, look, I, I know your passion. 
and I know what you've been focused on, but you really got to kind of think about how to make this happen in terms of tangible next steps. And I took that seriously, but I just had no idea. You know, I just, I just didn't know how to create something sustainable from this, this passion and this framework. Um, and there were two other inflection points, two things that happened to me. One is I read a book by, and you know, I don't, I don't believe that you kind of read a book and have a metamorphosis, but this book was a really <laughs> inspiring book. It was a, it was by a HBS professor called Clay Christensen. Um, and it's called, how will you measure your life? And, um, professor Christensen uses, and, and he's, he's a, he was, he passed away sadly early last year. Um, but he had a seminal approach to advising, uh, corporate clients and industry in general. Um, with the thinking that creative destruction and being really introspective about one's career and making an attempt to test your thesis in the marketplace is a great way to figure out strategy and a great way to kind of figure out what you want to do. Um, I, I highly recommend the book and it changed my approach to thinking about using small experiments, um, both professionally and personally to test theses of what may be potentially viable as a, as a career set um, that connected the US and Africa. And then the second thing um, is uh, in the summer of 2019, um, I got fired from Barclays. Um, and this, you know, is a characteristic of, uh, as, as unexpected and as unwelcome as that was, uh, is a characteristic of banking. And um, it, uh, it really forced me to think about whether I wanted to use this opportunity to really strike out and, and do something that I was passionate about, or if I wanted to circle back into banking. Um, I took some time out. We had, we had a son in, in the fall of uh, 2019, so he kind of occupied my time for, uh, well, he's still occupying my time, but, but at, least, <laughs> at least for three, six months. Um, and, and then I, I kicked off Ubora actually just as a pandemic broke in the spring of 2020. And what was that like kicking it off in the midst of a pandemic? I'm sure there was many challenges. Yeah, it, it, it didn't strike me as particularly logical or rational, to tell you the truth. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, if I'd had my druthers, I'd have probably picked a more, uh, a more opportune time. But, you know, this is, this is kind of where um, the concept of... Um, you know, some people are lucky in life and they have a master plan, right? And they can kind of tick off those milestones as they as they hit them. Um, but this is why Professor Christensen's book really spoke to me because um, it, it isn't about a master plan. It's about having a vision and it's about using experiences to kind of test the validity of your vision and the validity of your thesis. So I, I reached out to a number of clients um, and we had a discussion or just kind of just just chatted about the unique experience of the pandemic uh, was and still is uh, for, for many of us. And um, in the course of those discussions, it became apparent that I had a skill set that was suited to some of my clients who had operations in areas were going to be particularly challenged by, uh, by the pandemic. Um, so to, to kind of make it real, um, one of, one of my clients is a financial institution that, that op operates globally and 
as one can imagine with a pandemic, what uh, what it means is that there's a lot of pressure on the balance sheet and a lot of pressure on the the quality of uh, of the balance sheet. Um, so the, the client asked if I'd be uh, open to spending some time with them and helping figure things out. And uh, I signed up and uh, that became Ubora's first client. And, you know, again, just, just in, in the same realm of thinking of you just, you just never know where things lead to, um, but you have some kind of guiding North Star and you're consistently testing and um, either repudiating or affirming um, your hypothesis. Um, once I started working with this client, it also became apparent that beyond some of the pandemic-related stress, there were the issues that uh, the client was experiencing that Ubora was uniquely positioned to, to be able to provide guidance and, and advice on. So that was the genesis of Ubora in the spring of 2020. Um, you know, since then, we have um, we've signed up a couple of other clients. But as I as I step back and and think about the firm, you know, the defining quality about the firm is that um, we are focused on clients, both development organizations as well as corporate clients or for-profit clients, who have operations between the U.S. and Africa. And, and when I say Africa, uh, Africa is our specific focus, but we've done a lot of work in Latin America and Eastern Europe and the Far East as well. Um, but we also have a particular focus on sustainable finance. Um, all our clients have uh, either focus or a desire to have solutions that help them to um, attain or help them to accelerate the achievement of certain sustainable finance goals or sustainable uh, achievement goals, uh, which can be um, can be done and facilitated through the use of creative sustainable finance. And what are some of the benefits that you think can be gained from a focus on sustainable finance? Um, first of all, it just feels great, personally. Um, you know, I worked on many client assignments on the street where you kind of question, uh, it's, it's intellectually stimulating, but you kind of question the value of uh, of the end result um but especially having grown up in in kenya and in africa and being particularly conscious of the 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 yawning gap that um for example the sdgs are supposed to try and um bridge uh, over over the next 10 years um it's just been extremely satisfying personally to to be part of uh, part of the solution to um to, to coming up with, with um, instruments and avenues to, to better the life of people. Um, you know, the second thing is I've, I've always had a belief that um, the way to think about life as a professional is to try and project what you think is gonna happen for uh, kind of a year or a couple of years down the road and try and kind of work that into the, the value that you bring to, to a client's uh, business. And, um, you know, my firm belief is that um, sustainable finance has messy and as jumbled up as it seems right now in certain areas, um, I think is um, going to play a huge role. And in fact, I think will be not seen as um, a, a version of conventional finance, but I think will be seen as conventional finance over the next five to 10 years. So, um, being part of that evolution and being part of 
helping my clients think about how to ingrain that in the normal course of their thinking around how they manage their balance sheet, how they how they think about optimizing capital, or how they think about um, M&A situations is just, uh, it's just a lot of fun. I, I want to touch on something you said earlier, where you were talking about how you became an expert in in basis points, but you couldn't really see the big picture. When you when you start a company, it's it seems like it's you have to strike this balance between being an expert in something very specific and then also maintaining that vision, maintaining that big picture. And so I'd love if you could just share what your experience has been like as you work on Ubora Partners in maintaining both that incredibly narrow minded focus that you need when you start a business and you need to have a strong thesis and also reaching your goals of being intellectually stimulated by approaching a lot of different topics? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a great question, uh, Daniel. Um, you know, there, um, first of all, one of the things I regret not doing in business school, and I did a lot of fun things in business school, but one of the things I regret not doing in business school was uh, I regret not not spending more time with my professors um, because I talked about having enduring friendships out of business school, um, but I think I could have done a better job of having enduring relationships with my professors out of business school and beyond business school because I think that the type of mentorship and the type of uh, perspective that uh, mentors like a business school professor uh, can offer are just great resources, especially when you think about striking out on your own. Um, and it's not just the way of thinking, but it's the fact that your professors are just, they, they, they occupy this nexus and sort of a network of folks and resources and companies and um, opportunities that can just be hugely helpful to you when you strike out a business, strike out on your own. Um, so that's that's point number one. And then, so that kind of helps with, with the broad thinking and then fashioning something that's broad into something that's that's palatable and workable in terms of a business. Um, the, the second thing, and, and there are three points. The second thing is, um, you know, I think you do have to have, and, you know, there's a period of apprenticeship that we all go through where you have to have something that you can fall back on, some skill set. But you also have to know when um, that becomes your career, versus becomes a tool to achieving something that's a bit bigger than that. Um, and I think that um, working, for me, that sort of cathartic moment is um, was working with clients. And especially when I moved away from just financial institutions and started working with a broader set of clients, um, the one thing that became very apparent is to, to really be effective with, with clients, you, you kind of get, you, you have to know how to, um, you, got, you have to understand their business, right? You don't have to be an expert, but you gotta, you gotta understand um, not just how they make margins, um, but how their products move through the product life cycle, um, what their supply chain looks like. And this is, by the way, just another plug for business school, because um, being confronted as a first year MBA or a second year MBA with companies who you have just no inkling about the industry, but you're forced to be an expert um, and respond to either case or to a professor query. It's just uh, it's just great training for the real world. Um, so I think that started to lift me away from sort of the basis point world, and and to a world where I was becoming more of a problem solver, um, thinking about a construct, 
utilizing the basis of my skill set and marrying the two together. Um, and then the third point, which which is kind of a journey that Ubor is on right now, which is just really critical, is you, you just got to find good people. Um, I'm spending a lot of time on recruiting people to the business. And just just quick shout out, I have uh, an internship posted for uh, Stern First Years. Um, just posted it out, you know, a couple of weeks ago. So if you're interested, you know, look me up. Um, but you know, finding people who can kind of leverage your and complement your skill set um, with clients uh, is just is just essential. And I've just I've been fortunate in that the colleagues that I work with at Ubora, uh, some of whom I've had a history with at Barclays, and uh, others who are newer have just been um, fantastic in, in helping the business get off to an early quick start. Thinking about those experiments that you talked about from the Christensen book, can you talk about an experiment that you've run in your career using that book as a guide that didn't succeed? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll speak to two, right? One was just uh, before I read the Christensen book. So this was kind of the young, naive me. And then the second was after I read the Christensen book. So the old, naive me. Um, so, so the young, naive me was uh, when I was an intern at, uh, I was in college, I was an intern at JP Morgan. And um, one of my, I was, I was in a program called SEO, Sponsors of Educational Opportunity, that provides a pathway for minority kids onto Wall Street. And so we were a tight cohort of students that summer. And one of um, my close friends was at Merrill. And he had a great idea. And uh, he emailed the CEO's office, said, hey, I'm an intern. And I'd love to like come hang out and talk about my experience. And you, know, you kind of got to understand the culture of firms. And so the CEO of Merrill, because Merrill just kind of rolled that way, was completely open to that and responded. And he had, he had lunch with the CEO. So I thought that was a great idea. And I thought I'd, I thought I'd kind of test the idea at JP Morgan. And so I emailed the CEO and said, I'd like to have lunch with you. <laughs> and, um, I, you know, I can't, I, I can't quite recall whether it was five minutes or 10 minutes after I sent out, I hit send on the email. I had my manager come over to me and, and ask just to have a discussion with me and talk about, uh, talk about judgment. Um, so, so, yeah, that was, that, was, that was one experiment that didn't work out too well. Um, in my younger days, but in in my Ubora days, um, you know, in in the context of um, you know, Ubora is a minority firm, and in the context of um, some of the Black Lives Matter um, social uh, awareness that started to play, take place last summer, and you we saw the response of various uh, parts of industry um, to 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 the the unrest that summer and beyond. Um, you know, my, my thesis was that um, we've seen this from, from certain parts of industry in the past, but this is a great time to test um, certain uh, sectors of industry around just a commitment to uh, increasing diversity and increasing your pool of diverse, um, diverse partners, um, but also doing it in a way where there's obviously value being created by both sides. Um, so I spent a lot of time and focus on a particular sector of finance where I thought that there'd be a great partnership between Ubora 
and um, certain um, uh, partners that 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 nurtured early stage companies. And you know there was some there was some take up to that, but perhaps not as much as I would have hoped and expected for, given given what we were all collectively thinking and experiencing last last summer. And given um, what, I, what I thought was at least an interesting value proposition that was on the table, um, but you know that's the nature of experiments. They they fail, and you kind of learn from the experience, and you 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 move on, um, or they succeed, and you learn from the experience, and you move on. So switching gears a little bit, let's talk about mountaineering and marathons. Um, you've climbed Kilimanjaro, and you've run seven marathons. Um, I believe. So, you know, they do say strong body, strong mind. Um, let's just talk a little bit about these endurance athletics. Um, how did you kind of get into that? And is that something you, you currently still do actively? Yeah, I, 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 I wish I was more active in it, but my, my, my wife has put a ban on, um, you know, risky outdoor activities, at least at least until our son is of age. Um, so <laughs> I've become a, a bit more tame in my pursuits. Um, but, you know, I, I'll, just, I'll just quickly relay my, my favorite story of mountaineering, and I'll, I'll relate, relate it back to what you asked about, Melanie. But my, my favorite mountaineering story was actually in southern Russia, and uh, we were hiking in the Caucasus, um, and specifically Mount Elbrus, which is, which is the highest point in, in Europe. And um, I had done quite a bit of um, of my training in the Cascades in, in the western part of the U.S. and had done Mount Rainier and Mount Hood and, and a couple of those mountains as well. And uh, when when, you, when I got to Russia, um, you know, one of the things that that you learn really well in the U.S. is you learn safety techniques in climbing. And I was by no means a Himalayan climber, which is you know post twenty thousand feet, but you know, the, the, the climbs I was doing was between 15 to maybe 20,000 feet. Um, so so being prepared and being safe is integral to that. And so I get to Russia and and we we start climbing. We had a Russian guide and it was um, some South African friends of mine. And um, on the first day when we were training, they teach you how to self-arrest. They invent that there's actually an avalanche. And what self-arrest basically means is you have an ax and you tether yourself to 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 the ground and um, position yourself in such a way that um, the avalanche hopefully um, sort of passes over you. And so our Russian guide was like cutting all sorts of corners. And um, my South African friends had, you know, were, were climbers, but had never done something as high and as intense as Elbrus, which is just shy of 20,000 feet. And so I said, after a while, I was like, hey, dude, you know, I gotta tell you, you, you know, you're cutting a lot of corners in this, in this sort of essential piece of training. And he just looked at me and said, well, you know, we're not in the US, so we don't do it like that this way. And by the way, he had like a glass of vodka for breakfast, right? So um, that, that, was, that was a bit disconcerting, um, but, but- Safety guidelines out the door. Yeah, just out the door, right? It's kind of like how he rolled. Um, but, you know, the, the, the reason I do all this kind of stuff is one, I, I love endurance sports and, you know, I just, I get a thrill out of it, but, the, the, the real reason I do it um, is um, I, I feel that there is a mental discipline that comes with endurance sports um, that is just so applicable to the rest of life. And there comes a point in any marathon or in any climb where you, you just physically are just exhausted. 
you know, you're just physically exhausted. And the only way you're able to put one foot forward is, is the mental effort and the mental training and the mental discipline that you've inculcated over numerous Sunday morning runs rather, um, or just through your training regime to get you to put that foot forward. And I think it's just such a great uh, analogy to life. I mean, there are many points in time as an entrepreneur where you experience frustration, you experience uh, disappointment, and having the mental fortitude of being able to compartmentalize your frustrations and disappointments and put one foot forward and kind of move on to the next thing, I think it's just such an essential um, uh, skill set in life. One, one, one other very quick story I'll tell you, you know, everyone, um, when I tell people I'm from Kenya and I run marathons, they all expect me to run sub two hour marathons, which is def <laughs> definitely not the case. And I was running a marathon in, in Stockholm many years ago. That's a double loop around um, Stockholm has this um, Olympic stadium that was the venue for the 1912 Olympics. It's a regal, really nice stadium. So it's a double loop around Stockholm and you end up at the stadium. So my, my marathon now, my marathon times are much more modest around four hours. And I was, um, I was closing the end of one loop at the two hour mark. And you kind of hear the cheers and you know, you hear the, the accolades associated with the lead runners who were sprinting towards the, the Stockholm stadium. And so they lap me and I'm just so excited that they're, they're Kenyans, obviously. And uh, I'm so excited. And I shout out in Swahili, hey, you know, you guys look great. And you know, the finish line is just around the corner and just, just go for it. And one of them literally looks back and Swahili responds and says, yeah, dude, what are you doing back there? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, um, so, so something that I know, uh, something that I know that a lot of endurance runners feel passionately about is the debate of music or no music when you run. Where do you stand? Yeah, I'm a I'm a I'm a music guy. I uh, I've tried I've tried the new music route, but uh, yeah, that 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 doesn't cut it for me. What do you listen to? <laughs> you know, I, um, I I I love gospel. I listen to a lot of gospel. I listen to a lot of R and B. I love jazz. Um, so I kind of mix it up. Uh, you know, four, four four hours in one genre is a long time to 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 kind of endure one genre. <laughs> That's very true. Well. Nyagaka, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for, for joining us today. No, thank you. And uh, I've, I've, I've really, uh, really enjoyed sort of speaking to the both of you. And, and like I said, you know, the Stan community has been, has been great to, to my family and to me. And we've, uh, we've, we've been beneficiaries of, of this wonderful community that you guys serve. So.